want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, it well, by the, when people are listening to this, it's the day after your birthday. So happy belated birthday. Was it a good one? Uh, it will have been a good one. Yes, yes, there will be many celebrations. Actually, I'm not celebrating with my friends uh, until Saturday. So that will be in the future. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, what I'm doing is based off the, the Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, 100 Years of Solitude. I'm doing a 100 Beers of Solitude party in which <laughs> nobody is allowed to say anything until the house has consumed at least 100 beers. Oh, God. How many? Tell me there's like at least 30 people coming. I'm guessing around 30-ish, yeah. Okay, that's at least manageable. Yeah. It still might be, you know, difficult, depending on... <laughs> I got some friends who can put them back pretty easily, so... Okay, so you got it covered. That's good to know, and I look forward to unfortunately timed uh, tweets and photos. Uh, <laughs> and perhaps some. you can share some stories uh, this Thursday, when we'll be both hanging out at Comic-Con on Thursday. One more plug for this, guys, and then we'll leave you alone about it, I promise. Uh, at the Dublin Square Pub, Thursday, July 24th at 8 o'clock. And uh, we're going to be there. Y'all should be there. It's going to be a good time. I look forward to stories from you then. You can regale us. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have plenty. <laughs> well, we will have fun uh, hearing stories in person. But until then, we had fun talking with you guys online this week. We heard from some people at the website. Jim uh, said that he, he, was, he also was not very impressed with the strain pilot. Um, and he said True Blood finally had what may be its only good episode. Speaking of how could you be unhappy with it, I'm, I'm assuming he's referencing me here, uh, when you don't even watch it now. It's kind of funny because I noticed you were the one who started the True Blood buzz uh, around Sound on Sight. And that's true. Um, when I say I'm disappointed in True Blood, I mean not this season, obviously, because I haven't watched it, but over the past several seasons... It has really deteriorated for me, and um, yeah, Jim says he was surprised that the happy vampires were what pushed it over the edge for me, because the show's done way more ridiculous stuff in the past, and that's probably true, um, but that was just the straw that broke the camel's back for me, and I, one, my very first piece that I wrote at Sound of Sight was actually a defense of True Blood, and why it was a show that I was not ashamed to say that I love to watch. And unfortunately, when I go back and I look at that piece now, I had like 10, I think it was 10 different things that I thought the show did really well. And now I would say they do almost none of them well. Oh. Yeah. That, that is why I'm disappointed in True Blood because it used to be a show that I could legitimately defend as a, not a guilty pleasure, but a pleasure, a, a really fun, enjoyable show to watch. And that for me, became no longer the case, and that's why I'm not watching it this season. But for any of our listeners who are curious or who are concerned that I'm being hypocritical, uh, when I say that I'm disappointed in True Blood, I do not mean this season because, of course, I haven't watched this season. Uh, we'll talk about True Blood a little later on in the podcast, but I just wanted to mention that. Um, also, Jim wanted to know 
if we recommend this last week's episode of The Leftovers to somebody who absolutely hated the first two, I think he says he thinks he'll pass um, because he doesn't need to be disappointed by Lindelof. Again, I think it's getting to the point where if his name is attached to something, people run. And I definitely, you're not the only one, Jim, who feels that way. I've talked to many people who are very disenchanted with Damon Lindelof. However, uh, Jim actually got a response from Kenny who says that uh, it's that the show, the novel, Perotto's novel is a perfect fit for Lindelof because it's bluntly honest, quirky, raw, and entirely about the one thing at which Lindelof uh, is accomplished. And that's unanswered questions. Uh, so, so if you are into, if you go into it thinking like, think it's lost, but you're never going to get any answers, then if that sounds like a good idea, then you'll probably like the leftovers. Um, that's the central frustration of the characters in the leftovers. And it plays just three episodes in often quite pointedly. Where do you fall on this conversation with Lindelof? Uh, I like lost. And I think actually most people who have seen all of it will say that, yeah, it certainly had its faults, but overall that's a series that's worth watching. Um, I don't necessarily run to the hills, even with there, there are a couple of showrunners, actually, and I, I would throw Aaron Sorkin into this as well, who do certain things really well. And they're very interesting in many ways, even if they end up being kind of interesting failures, uh, which is a term that I use a lot. Um, and I think that Lindelof is one of them. And for that reason, that's still more compelling, I, I think, than some other failures. Yeah, there's definitely showrunners that are very good at a particular thing, and um, and that can become both a strength and a weakness at the same time, um, which actually, it, that makes me think of Shonda Rhimes, who, uh, Grey's Anatomy, and I didn't watch a lot of Private Practice, but it, it happened on, on some of the episodes there, I watched that show as well, um, and certainly can happen on Scandal, too, where there are certain things that her shows do really incredibly well, they do better than anybody else. Um, and then that with that comes some downsides as well. One of these days, Grey's Anatomy will go off the air and we'll do a DVD shelf and I can just, you know, go on and on about like the six or seven years that I watched that show for. But um, for now, let's stick on The Leftovers. Mario uh, says that he liked the one character focused approach of this most recent episode. He's still not uh, enjoying the characters who are or don't speak. But um, after watching episode four, he, he says he gets it. It's a lost, er, er, quotes, lost world, but and not a desirable one. Um, but it's, it seems like he's... Uh, still not completely sure and he says the the mute characters still creep him out uh four weeks in i feel like they're not going anywhere no definitely not big part of the series it's probably not going anywhere mario i look forward to following his progress with the show though as for the question of the week which by the way if you want to remind our listeners what was the question of the week last week what is everybody reading and Mario is uh, says, who, I mean, what am I reading? Comfort Me with Apples by Ruth Rachel. Maybe she'll show up on Top Chef Duels. And I know there are some listeners who would uh, love to know when that's coming back, and hopefully it'll be back soon because I know there's a lot of Top Chef love out there. Zandra also chimed in with uh, a mystery series by Carol O'Connor and Ms. Marvel. So much love for Ms. Marvel out there. I feel like I need to be reading that. Uh, She-Hulk, Lumberjanes, Rat Queens, Tiny Titans, Transformers, Windblade, Transformers R.A.D., and Transformers M.T.M.T.E. I don't know what any of those acronyms stand for. Do <laughs> yeah, you? I was just looking at that list as well, and uh, I do not either. So that's that's a gap in my learning. My my brother's a comic book guy, so he would probably know most of those. Yeah, uh, we have to we have to ask him and get him to 
you know, say which ones you should be checking out. Although I'm sure Zandra would say all of them. Uh, Carl says, Aiden Young is so engaging on Rectify. I literally hang on every word. I even cared about Teddy Jr.'s tire display. We're not going to disagree. <laughs> yeah, we, again, we'll have plenty of Rectify to talk about over these next few weeks, including today. Yeah. Um, Nick says, have you seen Utopia from Channel 4 in the UK? It's fucking excellent. And then Carl says, going to watch... The last episode of Utopia today, it is a strange and beautiful series, enjoying it quite a bit. Good to hear season two is off to a good start. And yes, incredibly violent in a disturbing manner. Wish it streamed somewhere for the for the U.S. And uh, Brian says, dear baby Jesus, are you <laughs> watching season two of Utopia? Season two feels slightly darker, but it's high quality, offers a brief respite in this midsummer's mire. So just a few. We I've been hearing just nonstop about Utopia from you guys, uh, which has me really stoked to check it out. But I I still haven't had the time. I'm sorry. You've you've watched it. I have. Yeah, I'm slightly worried that that's gonna raise your expectations a little bit too high because it's certainly not transcendent. So we're not talking Hannibal or Rectify level. But um, just looking at the sci-fi series on television at the moment, and unfortunately, we don't get Utopia here. Um, it's just leagues Thank above you. the cut. And it's not like there's not a lot of stuff out there for sci-fi fans. There are a lot of sci-fi series out right now uh, on various channels, but this is one of the most exceptional ones of the past couple of years, um, and I would say ahead of things like Continuum and Orphan Black. So once you do get to it, uh, I'm sure we'll have a great discussion. I I'm going to hold off on Season 2 until then. Okay, and Chris, you know, in a similar vein, Chris wants to know, did you guys talk about Orange is the New Black Season 2 yet? And he wanted to know if he'd uh, missed it. And no, I still have not seen more than the first four. Where, where are you at with Orange is the New Black Season 2? Uh, I have seen four fewer than you. Ah, fair enough. James wants to know, uh, our final comment here, any recommendations for new summer shows I should maybe check out? I was trying to think of new ones as opposed to returning, and nothing really came to mind. Um, I mean, we've talked about some of the pilots already. Let's see. The best of them, certainly the leftovers at the very least, warrants watching just because of how beautiful a production it is. Um, would you say that that's been the best new series of the summer so far? Well, it depends. Um, y yes, I would say it's the best new one I've seen, but it's certainly not for everyone. No. So that's one I that... Mean... It it's harder to recommend that one. I mean, I think people should check it out, but it's very likely not for you, whoever you is. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of the comedy pilots right now or in just a, a moment and that I, that I thought were quite strong, but there's not really been that big show, you know? Um, let's see last year, what masters of sex came out swinging mm -hmm. and that was fantastic. There, I want to say there was weren't, there were one or two other ones, but yeah, there was a not, lot last year. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the cream of the crop we tend to cover here weekly, minus probably what Legend of Korra and one or two other things that one of us isn't watching. But, but yeah, I guess I don't know. Yeah, I would say just take advantage of the time down and catch up with some of those shows that that you didn't get to last year because last year was such an insane year. If you haven't seen Time of Death, documentary series on Showtime last year, it's amazing. Check that out. If you want to see something, catch up with Adventure Time like I've been doing or trying to do. Or you can rewatch season one of Hannibal. You can rewatch season one of Hannibal 
Excellent transition. And why should people be doing that, Sean? Because we're doing season one podcast. This is our design. And the first episode just went up this weekend, and it was a great discussion. We've already recorded several of the episodes, and those will come out uh, every weekend from now on. And again, those are fantastic discussions with some great panelists. So we've been having a lot of fun with that, haven't we? It's been a blast. It's been a, a lot of fun. And we keep everything spoiler-free for those who haven't seen uh, the, the season season two that is uh, we have a like a little spoiler section where we talk about how this the season one episode we're talking about that week re- relates to everything we've seen but for the most part it's spoiler free and there's a big spoiler warning so even if you haven't seen season two you should check it out and certainly if you haven't seen Hannibal season one you you should do that it's really good what are you doing with your life seriously like living it what <laughs> Uh, so on this episode, we talked with Ricky D and Justine Smith, the editor-in-chief and film editor, respectively, of Sound on Sight, and we have a lot of other great guests coming throughout the season. Um, speaking of other podcasts, I was a guest on Debating Doctor Who this last week, which is, of course, the Doctor Who podcast from Caroline Sita and Alistair Wilkins, who are two of the contributors over at the AV Club. And we talked about feminism and representations of women uh, in Doctor Who, specifically new Doctor Who, and then we focused in... On, on a couple of the Stephen Moffat episodes, one of their two partners, to really look at Amy and River and all of that. So that was a whole lot of fun. So if you guys want to hear me talk about some of my favorite topics, you can check that out. Also, I, I believe it should be coming. I may I might be talking out of, out of turn here, but I believe uh, the Criterion cast Comic-Con preview should be coming out soon. What with Comic-Con being so soon, uh, just this coming week. And that was with Ryan Gallagher and David Bax, and that was a lot of fun talking with them. So you can keep an eye out for that. I'll tweet it out once it goes live. But um, barring technical snafus, that should be going out soon, too. So there's a lot of podcasting for me this week. And uh, it may not be a week that ends in zero or an episode that ends in zero, but Informed Opinions is back. We bumped it a week so we could do our Comic-Con preview. And this time we talked uh, about dance and teenage dancers on TV. And it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, that's a really underdeveloped, uh, I guess, topic in television outside, especially outside of reality TV. So uh, good discussion. Yeah. We weren't able to go into as much depth as i know the two of us would have liked we were hoping to to like dive in more with bunheads and with a couple other shows uh but we had difficulties being able to all have seen the same stuff because of uh an unavailability of D- on dvd of the shows that our guests watched and the shows that we had seen so we we end up talking quite a bit about safety king dance and some other reality shows but i think it's a great conversation it's a lot of fun and uh, our guest jenna who is a 15 year old dancer and is just wonderful. It was lovely. Uh, it was it was a real treat to talk to her and a little bit with her mom as well. And that'll be coming at the very end of the podcast. But before we get there, we should uh, start our week in TV because we've been going for a while now. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we'll be right back after this with our week in reality and comedy.
This week in reality and comedy, we're going to talk a little So You Think You Can Dance before we dive in with the comedies, which will include the pilots for Married and You're the Worst, as well as Wilfred Forward and Adventure Time Ocarina. But first up, we have So You Think You Can Dance, and there was so much to love about this episode. I love that opening routine. There were several routines that I thought were fantastic. I have been like playing that jive to happy just over in my head so many times this week. What did you think of So You Think You Can Dance this week? Uh, you're right. The opening routine, just really, really fun and smart design there. There were a few routines that I'm sure we'll talk about. I wanted just to begin by saying Casey was fantastic. Like He impressed me so much in his routine, the one that was set to crazy little thing called love. His pirouettes, his turning... Uh, I, I, he hadn't really like grabbed my attention until this episode, and in terms of individual performances, I didn't think that that pair was the best routine overall, but he was very, very impressive. And what I thought was so great about that routine, and the judges didn't comment on this at all, was that last week they had that Argentine tango, and they were so mature. And really, it, it, they gave such, their performance was excellent. It was intense. And this week, they're supposed to be at a high school prom, and they were so youthful. And uh, there was just that, that young they, – they felt very young this week after having felt so mature the week before. And I thought that was an impressive element to their performance as well. Yeah. A bit sad, obviously, to see Stanley go this time. Uh, Jessica, I guess, is a partner killer, so that doesn't bode well for Marquette next week. I was but, that was not a good routine, man. I the yeah. the magic carpet thing. Oh man, Tice, mm-hmm. not a fan of that one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, let's talk about one that was really good. I thought that uh, Emilio and Bridget, and again, I reiterate that Bridget isn't like the best in terms of technique. Like she's certainly lacking in some areas, but. She makes up for it in the performance, and I would say the exact same thing about Rudy. Uh, and their performance, I thought, was fantastic. The tap to end? Yeah. They're the, sorry, I should say the Broadway number, not the tap. I Because whenever I see the Canes, I always think of uh, Top Hat, the mm-hmm. uh, the Fred Astaire uh, film, and, and the the number as well, specifically. Yeah, that one was fun. It was very high energy, and um, it didn't... I didn't love as much as the judges did, but uh, I think also some of that might have been, I think some of the camera was distracting. I would have rather that it just let me see them dance because there were times when it was cutting back and forth between one or the other of the pair. And I was like, I know they are both working their butts off and doing something interesting. And so to have one of them left off off camera so we could focus on the other was was disappointing for me. Um, But no, I thought that was a, a very energetic and impressive number as well uh let me see what else comes to mind ricky and valerie the waltz yes um i thought that was fine i thought it was very nice i thought it was another week of ricky dancing circles around valerie this time literally um interesting because the judges were very excited about valerie they were they were very excited about valerie and she absolutely projected that princess uh, thing that everybody had commented on in their in their judging. Uh, she absolutely was the picture of elegance, which is what she needed to be in that. Um, so that for the character she was projecting was, I thought, excellent in the performance from that standpoint. But I was not particularly impressed with with her in general in, in that routine. I didn't think, I, th- I thought she was fine. I just, I, every time I watched the two of them dance the last week and this week, I just, she's holding him back. 
he could do much more challenging and interesting routines with a better partner. And I'm, and last season when Amy and fiction were paired, um, Amy really elevated fiction's, um, technique, but fiction also brought out personality from Amy that made her immediately even more likable and relatable than she was with other, with other dancers. And for Ricky, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing the ways that, that Valerie's making him better. And maybe if they could demonstrate that, if that is the case, I would be less harsh. That's no, it's a very good point. And that's why I think right now, uh, Emilio and Bridget are my favorite pair just because of what they bring out in each other and how that's very visible. But uh, yeah, I thought Valerie and Ricky were both good. I probably agree with you that it, it, she's definitely elevated by Ricky, but man, she has like the most infectious smile. She and does. That obviously has no bearing on. No, the it does. It does. does when it? the okay. camera's right in their face like that, yeah, because she, it's conveying an emotion. It's it's getting you caught up in. You know, and because and there are times when that smile matters and when you need to do that smile. And this was one of those dances, whereas Jessica cannot stop with that exact same expression in every single routine she does so far. It was super distracting in her magic carpet where she's like, gotta dance, giant <laughs> smile. And, and there's a couple of the different dancers who just default to that and it is not useful is not is not it completely breaks the, the mood it'd be like if, if they did that skeleton dance and we had a giant smile on their face it's like there's a time and a place and the time and the place is that waltz or or uh that um you know routine the jive that is when you need that giant smile you do, do not need the giant smile when you're on a magic carpet yeah no and just touching on that skeleton dance i thought that that was a great concept um i thought carly was particularly in that, I guess you'd call it character or entity or whatever it was. She, the way that she moves her shoulders was fantastic. How do she you was feel? Really that... loose and really yeah. low. That's the, some of the one of the things that um, when people try do do hip hop who are out of their genre, they they almost never get low enough. But it felt like she actually was really down for that one. Are you uh, are you on board the the Rudy and Jackie train? Yes, I thought that was very <laughs> cute. And here's the thing with that, because it could be completely manufactured, but he, they're all like 19 and super attractive and in really good shape and have shared interests and are spending all of their time together. So I I don't feel like it's, I don't think, and I'm sure that the producers are like, excellent, we should play this up for ratings. <laughs> but um. I, I believe it. I mean, come on. There's There's got to be some romance backstage on a show like this. Oh, you'd figure it was a, at least two people, if not more. So, yeah, I'm I'm all into it. I don't know how many weeks we're in, but uh, it's at this point where I was watching and I realized I'm really caught up, and so you think you can dance. So, good job nice. on you. Yeah. Excellent. I'm, I'm so happy. Well, we'll talk plenty of So You Think You Can Dance later in the show with, with our guest, Jenna. Though I should say, when uh, we recorded it, uh, we think we would have it on last week's ep episode. So the when we were talking about the episodes of So You Think You Can Dance, we're referencing last week's episodes, not this week's. But uh, but that was a lot of fun. So, But let's move on to the comedies. And we'll kick things off with the pilot for, for Married, which is the, one of the new FX shows. I talked about both Married and You're the Worst last week, so I'll pretty much stay out of this. But what did you think of this pilot? 
I like this, and first and foremost, the cast is fantastic. Um, all of the regulars. I love seeing Brett Gelman. Uh, he's one of the reasons that I wish Go On was still a thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's totally believable. I guess I shouldn't say that, but I don't know. The The concept is good. The portrayal of the marriage seems honest. The uh, on-screen chemistry between the characters is good, and it's also funny, and that's a thing that you need to do. So this fling that the main character has um, that just goes horribly, horribly wrong to the point where this poor young woman who has lost a child named Charlie loses a dog named Charlie. It's just awful, and we shouldn't be laughing, but it's funny. They did a good job of making her just crazy enough. Yeah. We'll name him Charlie. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a good bit of performance from that actress. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you liked it. I think you will like what the episodes that are coming as well. And um, it's been an interesting one to follow the reaction to because the reaction has been very split between people who think it's fantastic and hilarious and people think it's not likable or relatable at all. It, it's been a very interesting critical split on, on Married. What did you think about You're the Worst? Well, with both of these, I think uh, I don't think either of them is the next big thing. I don't think either of them is bad. Both of these were perfectly fine, though, and I'm very happy to keep watching them. So unlike some of the other uh, new comedy pilots that we've talked about, these are two that I definitely want to stick with for these full seasons. Uh, this one, I think, was actually more funny. And maybe it was just like the one or two reviews that I had read. Um, they were more in favor of Married, and I thought uh, if – you're the worst wasn't a better pilot. It was a funnier one. And then I looked up on Metacritic and actually it had gotten overall better scores than married. Um, but yeah, the two main cast members, again, very, very solid performances uh, are so like into those characters, despicable people. And obviously that's not anything new, um, but despicable in a way that is a lot of fun. I think. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it as well. Cause that was something I was consistently seeing, most reviews that I, and maybe they're just the reviews I happen to read, but they tended to just not think it was very funny and dismiss it as something they've seen before. Whereas I, like you said, I also, I laughed more at You're the Worst, the pilot of that, than I did at the pilot to Married. Um, so I'm glad that I'm not alone. And we'll talk about those uh, the next episode. We'll, we'll keep following those through their seasons. Um, but I look forward to to your thoughts on some of these upcoming episodes for the, for the two shows right now you would give the edge to, to you're the worst or, or just kind of people should check up both out. You know, it, the two sitcoms, obviously they're not big time commitments and it's FX. So you can trust them to put out some generally good programming. I would say watch both of them because both of those, both of these pilots I think are worth watching. Interesting that they're both on FX and not on FXX, which still feels like it was a, I don't understand what they're doing with it. But Weird, arbitrary decision, yeah. Very, very arbitrary decision. But FXX is airing Wilfred. We had another episode this week, Forward. Um, and once again, Ryan does not trust Wilfred at the start of the episode. And by the end of the episode, he does. Uh, what did you think uh, of this episode? I, I, you know, I, was, I sound very resigned and and disappointed, <laughs> but I did actually laugh out loud a few times in this episode. There's stuff to like, and anybody who listened to the podcast last year knows I loved the stuff they did with Amanda last year. So it was nice to see her back. Yeah, a good return, and 
I am worried, obviously, like this is going to be right to the finish line about can we trust Wolford, can we not? I really hope that he didn't set it up so that he, I don't know, paid Amanda to be in that role or something, because I'd like to believe that that was all genuine and also that um, he really was trying to keep Ryan from her because we've seen legitimate moments of friendship between the two of them, and it's a great pair. So um, that aspect I thought was good. The, the structure of it, I think, worked okay. The kind of starting after events that we go back to in flashback. So um, let's see what else. Little details that I thought were funny. We got to see Bear <laughs> through I was gonna say, vision. Yeah. We got our first Wilford POV. That was good, you know. The gray, they always, the writers are very, very sharp in terms of finding ways to communicate what being a dog owner is like um, through the Wilford character. And so that plus shaking the, the can of pennies I thought was great. How dare you call me a mailman? It's <laughs> pretty great as well. Yeah, yeah. Those are see, those are the touches that I that I go to Wilfred for. That's the kind of stuff that no other show does. Um, so the, I always enjoy when the episodes feature more of that stuff. So yeah, I like this episode more than a lot of the other ones this season, and there there are stuff to enjoy it certainly. Um, and we'll see what they do next. But let's move on to our last comedy of the week, and that's Adventure Time Ocarina, which not quite the feel good story of, of of last week um yeah i i enjoy how the show you know just it loves its characters so very much and then has an episode like this where it points out oh by the way jake's an absentee father <laughs> to uh the children of the belchers as well yes uh yeah and also it's just really I don't know if impressive is the right word, but gratifying as a viewer, certainly, to see that there are consequences to something like Finn and Jake spending all of their gold. And so now that becomes an issue uh, in this episode some weeks later. So that's very good, uh, consistent narrative when it doesn't need to be, but it adds that little extra touch. And that's one of the things that that is so amazing about Adventure Time because it's such a crazy show. They can do anything. They can have, you know, a Finn turn into a giant bird and almost eat Jake, who's been turned into a less giant bird uh, one week. And then they can just, you know, tell the, the epic tale of an of an inchworm the next week. But it when they go on these flights of fancy, they also maintain the internal structure of the world and the fact that the writers care enough to do that is really impressive and it shows how much they care and if they care then i care uh which is always an important element to storytelling it's especially genre storytelling for me i will say the the lunatic base that was used to, to get the deed that was a lunatic base super lunatic yeah yeah, I got gotta love uh, Marceline the Vampire Queen and uh, and and try you know when they say that Marceline sold the tree, I'm like what? And then they say why? I'm like okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah. a girl can only do so much. Well, what wins your week in comedy and reality this week? Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I guess I probably preferred the Wilford episode to the Adventure Time, but with the two new pilots. You know what? I'll just give it to you. You're the worst for good job. Keep it up. Okay. I'm going to give it to Say so You Think You Can Dance because I, I just had so much fun with this episode. And um, it was after a very long day. And all, a very long day of uh, part of which was playing happy 
arrange for two violins for a wedding for way too many. I mean, just way too long. So I was glad to get that song back. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably the right answer. So you think you can dance, but uh, I'll get a little bit of sympathy to hear the word. genre we're going to talk a little true blood and extant before we go a little deeper with the strain um but sean how how did true blood do this week did they uh continue their streak this really was two in a row i mean i would certainly hesitate to say kate you should watch the next episode of true blood but if you're at all morbidly curious maybe check out the last one or the last two i know i was complaining last week um kind of how, or maybe it was two weeks ago, when a character dies, uh, that it just seems like this, the, the town of Von Tomp just glosses over these kinds of things, and they never have like proper emotional reactions to things. And I think Suki is probably most guilty of this all the time, because like, so many shitty things happen to her, and she never, it, it seems like, takes the time to feel that. And this was very much kind of recovering from Alcide's death, and they actually gave him uh, a fairly good send-off in which his dad comes over and the whole town kind of throws a party to, to celebrate life rather than mourning death altogether, and they kind of snap Sookie out of her mourning, which was good. Um, so, yeah, and uh, Eric and Pam, um, they're, they're doing a good job slowly teasing out the inevitable end, which is Eric's going to die from Hep B and Pam is going to be devastated by it. And they give you a little bit of it each week. And it's just, it's really good seeing the two of them together on a mission to, to go kill Sarah Newland, um, who is also being chased by the Yakuza because this is true blood. So why not? Um, but yeah, Knowing that that's going to happen, I think they, they have a, a good and effective card up their sleeve this late in the game, which is probably surprising. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, I always want these shows to be good and I want them to do well. So when they're they're you know, when they have a couple in a row like this, that is good news as far as I'm concerned. And hopefully they can keep it up for the rest of the season. Any other thoughts on True Blood? Uh, we ended the episode with Bill also apparently having heavy. So all the vampires be dying. Uh, not Jessica, I hope. No, no, but her boyfriend, I, I don't know, quote-unquote boyfriend, cheated on her with Lafayette, so she's also not doing great. That's fun. Well, it sounds like it's a good time in Bonton, but uh, let's move on to Extant, which uh, I watched the second episode, you were not able to. 
I thought this, you know, again, it's more of the same. It's very consistent. I like how quickly they're giving us some answers about stuff. I'm not, you know, big answers, but we get the uh, POV of what happened to the previous astronaut, which I thought was nice. Uh, I like that right away there's some very specific visual cues they give us in regards to the pregnancy. They they stop pretending um, that... Cameron Mannheim's character wouldn't have to report the pregnancy, which is nice. It just makes some, some good moves. So again, it's not nothing mind shattering or, or amazing, but I, it's consistent. And, you know, again, in the summer that hasn't had that many things that have blown us away, it's, I, it's in the holding pattern. So I will probably watch um, some more, you know, maybe not, probably not this week because I'll be at Comic-Con, but after that, I'll probably try to catch up and see where it's, we'll see where it's at. But it could, again, I, what I keep going to with this one is it could be a lot, a lot worse. Um, so I'm I'm kind of uh, tentatively positive on Extant right now. Um, but let, let's move on to to the strain which we've both seen. This is episode episode two, the box. Um, what did you think? Again, I would say probably there are some interesting things and some effective things about this. Not the least of which I think is the the directing. Um, I. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but we know him from Hannibal, David Semmel, Semel? I'm not sure. But uh, that was good. The visual effects, of course, are good. Uh, this seems like a really gross misuse, at least in these first two episodes, of the acting talents of Sean Astin, though, because he's been really not given anything to do. That doesn't really change very much in the first four. Um, he gets a couple beats to play, but... They yeah, they, there's not much for that character to do or be other than a plot choice, and um, yeah, I don't know if that's just they're wasting Sean Astin or um, or if they just are not interested in that character or maybe Astin needs to be bringing out more more layers in the backgrounds of scenes. But he's not he's barely getting anything to say or do, let alone you know layers of emotion to play. Yeah, and if you compare that to to of the other bigger characters, obviously Corey Stoll, I don't particularly care, and I'm not sure if it actually actively upsets me or not, but the whole AA thing, Corey Stoll at least gives a very good performance in that scene, and then David Bradley in, in the prison sequence where he's on the phone across the glass with, uh, I don't even know what the guy is, but whatever he is, that was a really good conversation and almost seemed like it was in its own show. Um, so those two actors, I think, are, are being, being given some material to work with, and they're doing pretty well with it. Yeah, everything with David Bradley is the highlight of this show, as far as I'm concerned. I, I feel like they're wasting Corey Stahl. That scene was a good one, the one you mentioned, but um, in general, he can do so much more than what they're asking of him. Um, but no, it continues. I think it continues very much in line with the pilot. So people who like the pilot, I'm sure, like this week's episode and will like what comes next. Any any specific other moments you want to mention with the strain i'm glad somebody found a use for uh the actor who played ramon in that miami episode of louis so yeah i also like seeing weevil pop up because I, I don't actually remember the actor's name at the moment i used to know it off the top of my head but of course i know him from veronica mars as weevil and he's of course the the brother of our courier in the pilot so it's nice to see him on my tv uh, a, a few weeks here now um but that wraps up our week, our very abbreviated week in genre. What wins the week for you? It'll be True Blood once again. I mean, I'm going to have to shut up from now on in terms of predicting these kinds of things. 
It's hard to tell. Um, I'm going to give it to... I think I'm going to give it to Extant because I have lower expectations for it and therefore less disappointment about it, uh, which is, you know, the strain does certain things much better. Like, like you said, that scene with Corey Stahl, but it also just has it. I feel like it should be so much better than it is. Um, and I have to pick and choose the moments that are particularly interesting. So for right now, I'm going to give it to Extant. That may easily change next week, but now let's take a break and come back with our week in drama. drama. I'm going to preview Manhattan a little bit, and then we'll talk about the pilot for Matador before spending a little more time on The Bridge, Rectify, The Leftovers, and Masters of Sex. So first, Manhattan will be debuting this coming, I want to say Sunday, on WGN America. Of course, they started out their original programming earlier this year with Salem. Now this is their second uh, original series. It's about the Manhattan Project, and actually I was very uh, surprised by the caliber of cast they were able to bring together for this, uh, particularly Olivia Williams, who I always love. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm hoping I got that name right. I don't have my, my notes in front of me, but uh, we would know her. Of course, she was on Dollhouse, but she a, lot, she, a generation of, of, of movie fans love her from Rushmore and all the wonderful work she's done since then. She's always fantastic. So it was nice to see her pop up in a supporting role on this show. It's an interesting setting. It The visuals of it look nice, like the costuming and the set design and all of that. As soon as you set something during World War II and you get to have Nazis as your bad guys, there's immediate stakes, which I think works well. Um, I, think it, I think it's good. It's solid. It's... Um, I've only seen the first episode. There are two available, but again, well, with Comic-Con, I ran out of time. I wasn't able to watch the second one before talking about it, but um, I think it's I think it's solid, and if people are looking for a period drama, I think they could do a lot worse. So, um, yeah, I would say check it out. If, it's, if, if it sounds interesting to you, the scientists trying to develop the bomb, you know, then uh, then tune in and see what you think, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to talk about it a little bit next week. Um, but let's move right on to the pilot from Matador, which is a new show on El Rey, which is about a uh, a, a cop. Based, well, he's a, like a DEA agent. He gets you know taken to work for the CIA. Uh, but the twist is, of course, he's undercover as a soccer player, as a soccer star, and no one knows that he's actually secretly a spy. Um, this show is ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous, uh, but it, there's some fun to it. So if you're looking for a kind of cheesy show, if you're looking for the kind of show that says, hey, what if uh, a government agent uh, used to play soccer and so auditions for a pro team and becomes a soccer star, but he's secretly also doing spy work? I mean, 
If that sounds fun, you'll probably enjoy this one. There's There was one particular moment that was really problematic for me, and that's when this moment in the pilot where the the daughter, the somewhat promiscuous daughter of uh, the owner of the team, uh, is... The, the, our lead thinks she's being assaulted by two men, but it turns out it's just part of a, a sex game that she's in, engaging in. And uh, our hero tells her he, she should lie to her father and say that she had been attacked when her dad comes. That's a wonderful message to send people, you know, cry rape. But um, other than that, I, I think there's a lot to really like, and it seems pretty harmless. And, uh, it's, I, you know, just having a sort of, this is, this is like the perfect kind of summer show for me. If you're looking for something a little more lighthearted and fun, but with some, some action or suspense in there too. So I, there's a lot, again, there's a lot worse you can do than Matador, but let, let's move on to the bridge ghost of a flea. So I know you're more uh, positive on the season so far than I am. What did you think of episode two? Uh, well, first of all, the way that it ends. So it's good that they found a convenient way to put Marco and Sonia back together because they belong together. Yay! Um, there's a lot of threads going on right now, which is probably most surprising considering, once again, we still have no Annabeth Gish or Thomas M. Wright. Uh, some of them I'm not keen on. So Eleanor, our villain right now, the fixer, again, she on screen is compelling because the actress is good at being... I guess that inscrutable, but I I don't really get much from her. But, you know, she gives the, the episode its title, which is Ghost of the Flea, which is a William Blake painting, which is the big uh, one on her back that we saw at the end of the last episode. And I know that because I've studied William Blake, so ha. I, I have not, so I was not aware that that's what that was, so I'm glad to, to learn about that. Um yeah, this one is very tied to the first episode for me. Again, I, I am not sad that we have not seen Annabeth Gish or Thomas Wright uh, because I did not care for or enjoy either of those characters or performances in the previous season. So uh, I hear that we're going to spend time with at least one of them in the next episode, and I'm somewhat disappointed in that. Um, again, it's good visuals, good style. I, I like the all the characters and the central performances. I'm always happy to spend time with particularly the reporters, like I said last week, but um, I'm just not compelled by by Eleanor and by these other things that are going on. I don't feel the need to spend time in this world. But you know what? I'm, I look forward to I know other people are more excited about the episodes that are coming up, so hopefully I'll tune in this coming week and uh, have a little bit more uh, success or enjoy my time in that world a little bit more. Any uh, final thoughts on the bridge? Uh, yeah, just quickly, you mentioned the visuals, and I thought that that shot from above the ceiling fan, so that it kind of swings back and forth, or rather over and over in front of the camera, uh, down on Demi and Bashir was good. And then I like, uh, again, the relationship between Hank and Sonia. So to see him go talk to Jack Dobbs and tell him to back off, it's it's a well-established relationship, I think. So, And also a good point of contrast to something like... Uh, Jack Crawford and, and Will Graham on Hannibal. Is he ever going to retire? Wasn't wasn't he supposed to retire like at the start of the first season? Uh, I really hope not, because Ted Levine's a great actor, so I, I want him here. Yeah, Ted Levine is pretty great. Uh, let's move on, though, to Rectify, Act As If. And, um, man, this one did not leave me feeling so happy, because that ending, I, I don't know what necessarily they're going for, but I just felt like he was surrounded 
by bad influence, and I just kept waiting for something terrible to happen for them to be like, ha, gotcha, fingerprints on the gun, now we're going to frame <laughs> you for murder. I don't know. What, what, I, was that just me? No, there's a lot of discomforts. I don't, uh, I don't want to see Daniel holding a gun. That's, that's not a good thing right now, I think. But it's weird because they're also, I don't know how conscious this is in terms on, on Ray McKinn's part, but it's almost like Amantha, too, is really out of her element and is almost having a more difficult time than Daniel integrating into a certain kind of society because she is terrible at register and also has no social awareness whatsoever. But, you know, I like that she tries, and I like that the show has a respect for that that position and that, um, you know, in, in a way that many, many other shows would not. So uh, she's very friendly at first. She doesn't, you know, she's socially awkward somewhat when they're asking about Peanut. Um, but when she makes the mistake about the, uh, the was it EBT, um, she immediately feels, feels bad and uh, rectifies it and then puts a smile on her face and, and thanks the person, you know, like, and so I really appreciate that the show does not look down on that position of her being uh, a register worker at the supermarket or whatever in the way that, you know, her mom does because her mom doesn't want her work, you know, her mom wants her to have something, you know, better to do than, be the checkout clerk but i mean for right now it seems like it's you know not the worst thing for mantha to be doing no certainly not but yeah they again they've not lost a grip on that character at all and even in this episode i mean we've been getting more teddy jr and it also feels like both the mom and teddy senior got some good stuff to do and i think that um in the case of those two that it's a it's a really effective um, presentation of two points of view that I think some viewers will find themselves having difficulty agreeing with one and not the other. And I think that both of them have good perspectives in terms of how much do you coddle Daniel? How much do you hold him responsible for certain things, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So like the, in addition to, to Teddy and Tawny having a lot to do this season, they've, they've presented the, the other characters, I think the other supporting ones with good material. Yeah, El Scott Caldwell was just fantastic throughout the episode, but particularly in that scene. And I mean, that's what I enjoy about this show. They're both right in that scene, um, Ted Sr. and uh, the mom as well. I mean, it's tough. It's it's really tough, but um, it's what the show does so well. And yeah, that I particularly connected with them there in their stories uh, this week. And just, oh God, Tawny's pregnant, man. She's pregnant. She wants to go to college. Man, she's got all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just thinking of Teddy Jr. as a dad, and just we don't need another Teddy in the world. <laughs> can his anger just like consume him and them already, so that she can Tawny can move on and with somebody better? Maybe that will be the thing that sets him on the right path. We can only hope. Um, I don't. Again, I just this is what happens when I forget my notes. Um, I was very glad to see one of my favorite actors from Deadwood pop up, in uh, as as Leslie, and um, I just yeah, that's where I knew him from. I was I was like, yeah. wait a second, who's that guy? Yeah, um, and uh, I just do you want to spend more time with them next week? Are you nervous? What do you, what do you think? Uh, you know, I think. It, there are certainly reasons to worry, but it's 
it's got to be a good influence on Daniel in some way, right? Because it brings him out of his shell at the very least. Obviously, like doing drugs and shooting things is probably not a good idea, but the perspective there, which is that the change is inevitable and you got to get in front of it, which is what he says, um, is something that Daniel needs to take on to some degree, right? So there at least has to be an element of that. And so in that way, I would like to see Leslie back. Yeah, well, uh, he's certainly an interesting presence on the show, and uh, I'm I'm intrigued by what he represents to the show and to the character of Daniel. So we'll see more of him, I hope. Uh, let's move on, though, to The Leftovers, BJ and the AC. Um, this is our first hint at what's so special about Christine um, and I'm the main takeaway for me with this episode it was very much very more much more similar to the first two episodes and the third episode um, is that if the show's gonna keep teasing these like metaphysical answers or coincidences after a while I'm gonna need them to give me answers and so since it's not what the show is interested in, I'm getting a little frustrated that it keeps introducing new questions like this, like the dream or the, um, these different, uh, I don't know. I'm just, is that just me? Uh, it's not just you. And I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying not to care about the answers and to, to latch on to other things. And even then though, um, I don't know if there's enough going on to wow me. So, yeah, this definitely was more like the first two episodes, uh, and I think I might have preferred the third one of all of these so far. I don't know why critics would not have been given this one in the original package and they got the fifth one instead, because it doesn't seem like there's anything particularly departing from the norm here or anything, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's... And because I I don't need answers in my TV, but if they're not if they aren't interested in answers, which is again like I said, it's totally fine. Don't keep asking questions. Then don't be like, oh, is it a coincidence or is it fate? I mean, I, I'll give you a couple of those, but we already got that last week with in some of these elements of episode three, and now we get like magical baby maybe and a dream and we get the brakes stopping right after he says how he doesn't need Jesus and we get this like there's a number of things like that where the show wants you to be like oh is it a coincidence and if they're not interested in exploring that or giving any answers that is fine but then stop teasing me with it yeah I mean I'm I'm not really interested much in anything that's going on with Christine and the Sun right now. Uh, I probably thought that the most effective scene was the, the mom slash wife going back to the gutter and trying to get the lighter, the, the don't forget me lighter. Uh, what? So BJ and the AC, so that's baby Jesus. What is the AC? I didn't even make the association of baby Jesus, so uh, I have <laughs> no idea. I have it's, no idea. It's all a mystery. See, it's now I'm I'm asking questions and I've got no answers. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, any other thoughts on the leftovers, or shall we move on to Masters of Sex? Uh, just the the weird coincidence that there was another HBO show in which somebody shot a flaming arrow or did not shoot a flaming arrow successfully onto mm -hmm. a pyre. Yeah, that was uh, I didn't make that connection, but yep, that's fun. It's fun to think of those two scenes as paralleled. Um, let's move on to Masters of Sex, though our final show in our week in TV. This episode is Kyrie Eleison, which is Lord Have Mercy, and what does that title mean? Do you think in regards to what goes on in this episode? 
Lord Have Mercy, you said? Yes. Um, oh man, I, I don't know. So, the concept of mercy, um, well, there's certainly, I don't know if it would be mercy, though, because regarding the story between Bill, uh, the young girl who, whose mother wants her to be, to receive the treatment, and then also, um, Betty, who has a perspective on that. I mean, Bill and Betty show a certain kind of empathy towards the girl that might denote mercy. I, I think that's probably the the clearest connection I see there. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a lot of of people being um, shown maybe the error of their ways or needing some forgiveness in this episode. I think that's true of almost all the the characters by the time you get to the end and we see the reticence with which both Johnson and masters head out to their totally not an affair guys. Um, you know, I think that that applies to them as well as of course, Betty who's deceiving her husband. And, uh, I mean, it's all over the, uh, the episode, but, um, yeah, I really like this episode. I thought it was, I thought, you know, I'm very glad to be back. Like I said last week in this world and spending more time with these characters, of the um, stuff we get with, and again, her name escapes me, but the daughter of Scully, who has the injury from her father's uh, suicide. Vivian. The time we spend with Vivian, that scene with her and uh, and Ginny, I thought was, was great. Because, you know, Lizzie Kaplan is so damn likable in the role. It's easy to forget that, you know, we had what, what, all the stuff that went down last season with Ethan and with Vivian, and we really like Vivian. We really like Ginny. We want them to be besties, uh, but that can't happen based on what went down last season. So I thought that scene was really great. I'm very glad to see Betsy Brandt on the show. Oh, Betsy. my God. Oh, Jesus Christ, Marie. How great. How great is it to see her, uh, and how easily does she fit into this world? It's just like that. So perfect. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that the Michael J. Fox show got canceled, and this is a great role for her. Definitely. I mean, she's in like two scenes, but she's fabulous already. Um, and then also everything we get with Julianne Nicholson uh, is just so fantastic this week. It's wonderful. And uh, I look forward to getting to spend more time with, you know, with with Ginny not wanting to get rid of Betsy Brandt, basically. That means we get more time with Betsy Brandt, which is awesome. It means we get a lot more time probably with uh, Lizzie Kaplan and uh, Julian Nicholson together, and they are such a fantastic pair. Yeah, the the shooting of that video that they were doing, and it it's really kind of quietly devastating the the way in which she's not speaking clearly. Julian Nicholson is fantastic in that role. I continue to be impressed by Caitlin Fitzgerald um, as Libby, and just because of how much presence she has and how kind of effortlessly she conveys that headstrong um, nature in the front of like obvious challenge, whether that's trying to deal with Bill and the kind of person that he is or just struggling to fulfill her roles as the mother trying to take care of this child essentially by herself. Um, she's a big highlight of this series for me. I know that she's not for a lot of other people, which is why I specifically wanted to draw attention to that. Oh, man. If she just hadn't needed to needle Coral about uh, about axe and ask, I mean, yeah. ugh. 
she's just such a bitch in that moment because she feels threatened and judged as a mother and all these different stuff. But yeah, it's totally understandable and relatable, but still that just, oh, I was so ready to get on board with, with that, um, new sort of partnership as well on the show. But, oh, well, where are you at with Danny Houston? I think, I mean, he's obviously a great actor and I think that he's doing wonderful in the role and that that's a good character to bounce off of Bill specifically though, that, conversation that they have so obviously uh, he's putting pressure on the bill for certain reasons and bill really does a great job of defending his values in terms of identifying certain sexual behavior not as um dysfunctional but as just being uh, anomalies really and that deviants shouldn't be like criticized for that and obviously that's a very progressive attitude that eventually will become developed into the kind of sexual revolution that eventually will happen. But that was a really good scene, I thought, in terms of establishing what Masters of Sex is doing on the bigger scale. It's also not the most historically accurate, at least. uh, The the Bill Masters on the show uh, seems to have a much more enlightened view of homosexuality than the historical figure, uh, because that is one of his later studies was about curing gayness and how you could do it. Uh, so, yeah, whether or not that's something the show's going to get into or whether they're just doing the old pay no attention to that man behind the corner, um, I would rather spend time with this version, this less accurate version of Bill Masters, so I'm I'm okay with it. I just figured I would mention it, though, because I know that that element of... You know, whatever you have based on true, that can be um, problematic. So I like that the show is willing to take some, you know, creative license... With their character, I think Bill Masters is already unlikable enough. I don't think you need to add more to that. But um, but no, I, you know, I, having more obstacles thrown up between uh, the continuation of the study with with you know, Masters and Johnson is a little frustrating. It feels a bit like a delaying tactic, but it also is giving us all these other interesting avenues. And um, the last thing I'll say about this episode is just how glad I am to have Betty back. I mean, Greg Grunberg. That scene by the car is just delightful. I always like him, but particularly, um, I'm just so glad to have him back this season and playing the character in this way. And then getting to spend that extra time with Betty, her astonishment that Master said anything remotely helpful or human <laughs> was pretty great. Uh, what do you think about Betty? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely on board. This is a really, really deep cast, and they've kind of excised some of the less good parts about it so Ethan um, and they've really found ways to bring out the best in all of them especially her character Uh, so yeah completely on board there I'll just say lastly because I was paying attention paying attention to it more because this is a point that we disagree on I think that regarding Lizzie Kaplan as Virginia Johnson um, she absolutely looks the part so the the wardrobe is down perfect I think that her facial expressions are wonderful. She moves the parts. Her physicality on screen is great. I think for me, the problem is that she doesn't sound the part. So it, it feels like Lizzie Kaplan is speaking in a way that's somewhat, I guess, an affect. I can tell that she's acting, which is, I guess, the problem for me. Okay, fair enough. I can see that a little bit. Uh, she doesn't definitely... I could see how you would find her... her inflections to be a bit affected um and hopefully you haven't just broken me for <laughs> you know what it sex. is though 
I think it's because the dialogue is written in a, a period way, because sometimes it feels like Austin is doing that as well. And that, I think that that was my problem with Ethan. Um, so it, it might actually not be Kaplan, and it might be the scripts. Or it could just be not, you know, because certain actors are, are more comfortable slipping into and out of different, um, more stylized speech. So maybe, maybe it's that, but it's not been bothering me, but we'll see if it does next week. Um, <laughs> so what wins your week in drama? Uh, this is constantly going to be a battle between Rectify and Masters of Sex, which are the two best shows airing on TV right now. Um, man, well, I gave it to Masters of Sex last week, so I'll give it to Rectify this week. And I'll give it to Masters of Sex. So we got to split again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a couple good episodes there and several several interesting ones. A few show notes. You can find a post-up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought about the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes where we have an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed. We would very much appreciate any feedback you guys give us there, ratings or reviews. It does help other people find the show. You can also uh, set, you can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound on Sight TV. And you can also uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Sean, you are at Sean Coletti. And Sean, where else can we find your work online? Uh, you can find previous written reviews over at Sound On Site or at TVOverMind.com. And you can also find some of my stuff up at uh, the AV Club, as well as, of course, Sound On Site. And then again, one more time, if you're going to be in the San Diego region, head on out Thursday night, 8 p.m. Uh, Dublin Square Pub, 4th Street in uh, in downtown San Diego in the Gaslamp District. We would love to to meet some of y'all and hang out. So drop us a line on Twitter. Let us know you're coming. And uh, that'll, be, that'll be a good time. So, Sean, what is our question of the week? Uh, what is the best and or worst birthday present you've ever received? Ever? Wow, that's pretty... I don't know. Um, let's see. Well, uh, my, this year my sister really hooked me up because uh, she basically just pampered me all day. I was gonna like work all day, and she's like, "Okay, you don't want to do anything, fine, but I'm gonna I'm gonna paint your toenails. I'm gonna give you a massage, and I'm going to keep you in margaritas." And that was that was really nice. So <laughs> she's so much better at gifts than I am. Um, so maybe maybe that one for you know recent memory was pretty yeah. great. How about you? I don't know worst, but. The best, probably, uh, one of my friends got me a, a collected poems of John Keats from the 19th century. So it wasn't Oof. quite the first edition, but uh, very, very old, beautiful book, great binding. And Keats kind of was the reason that I got started writing poetry in the first place. So also a huge sentimental value. Well done, Sean's friend. That is a good call. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, let us know what your uh, best and worst birthday presents have been. But now let's take a break and come back with Jenna to talk uh, a little informed opinions, dance, and teenage dancers on TV. So we'll be right back after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Sean Coletti. And this week, instead of our standard DVD shelf, it's time for another informed opinion segment. And we have something a little different this time. 
uh, because I'm very excited to welcome Jenna to the podcast, who was here to talk about dance on TV and specifically representations of of young dancers. Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, and what now? What I always ask our guests in this segment is, uh, what is your experience in the field? Uh, so I don't know how that really applies to being a young dancer, but uh, how long have you been studying dance? Like since I was five. And how old are you now? Fifteen. So ten years. That's yeah. you know a few a few years. Yeah. <laughs> there. And what are, what is your specialization for dance? If is that is that proper terminology? I guess like like I do like all around like. Ballet and jazz and tap and like everything, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Well, yeah. There's there. We'll get into some of the different distinctions uh, between the the various styles in a little bit. Um, but I wanted to start out uh, because this this <laughs> this season uh, I've been been making Sean watch So You Think You Can Dance, and uh, it's a show that I absolutely love for many reasons, but specifically because yeah. I like dance and I like its representation of young. Dancers, uh, what do, do you watch the show? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I like to watch it. I've been watching it for like a, a few years. And okay, well, and and so what is your what is it like for you to watch? You know, watching that is are you able to just like enjoy it? Do you feel like do you feel like you can connect with these people because you have a similar kind of background of of you know years and years of dance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I can connect to like what they've been through and like performing and seeing like how they learn like different types of styles. Yeah, so and, and so I, I know that um, on, the, on the show, for, for me, before I started watching it, I don't think I'd ever even heard of contemporary. I was like, I knew jazz, I knew tap, I knew ballet, but I didn't know some of these other styles. And it's been really fun over these past few years. I mean, like, I'm sure people who actually dance listen to um, listen to me on the podcast and are just sort of confused and just like think it's hilarious the stuff that I just kind of assume. Um, but uh, but but with you know one of the, one of the things I most appreciate about so you think you can dance is the way that it shows young people striving and building a future for themselves that they you know something that they really enjoy and you know presumably by the time you're at that level that's something you plan to go into for a career is is how how common is that with ki- people your age or is most are the most people like just doing it for fun yeah or like they like most people like don't go into like the field of dance like very few but most people like go into like service like with like teaching or like psychology or something like that that's that's really interesting sean what 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 has been your first uh, like your takeaway so far from so you think you can dance and it's it's representations uh, it's been great for me as somebody who doesn't really know much about dance and although that kind of makes me wonder um if you're watching a tv show that is dealing with one of your expertise then i can't help but think that um, if I was a dancer and had a bunch of that experience that I'd be like frustrated by some of the necessary cutting that they have to do to portray this as a TV series. So there's probably a lot of detail I imagine that they're leaving out in between what we actually see on the screen, which would be a lot of fun to dig into if you do have that experience. But for me, who doesn't even know what that would consist of. It's been great. Um, it's, it was very like entry level. So I don't feel like I got way in over my head trying to understand what was going on. Well, what is it like for you? Is that is that frustrating? I wouldn't say it's frustrating because I kind of like know what they go through, but yeah, I would like to see like what goes on more behind the scenes. But like I think like as like a like a TV show, I think they would think that the viewers would think it was be 
boring, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they wouldn't like it as much, so they kind of cut it and try to put, like, interesting parts from, like, the week. Yeah, they seem, whenever there's an injury yeah. of any sort, we always find, hear that. I mean, and it you know, makes sense, especially if it's going to impact their performance, maybe, that the viewers know that when they're voting. But, uh, they, but yeah, there's certain stuff that just seems to, certain packages are, like, 30 seconds, so yeah. you barely see anything, and others, you know, maybe they think are more compelling. Uh, the I know that... The, with um, the judges, one of the things I really appreciate about the judges and So You Think You Dance, one of the things I really appreciate about some of the judges and So You Think You Can Dance <laughs> yeah, like, is that Jason, Jason Derulo was like, yeah, that's that's tight. That's tight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, that doesn't help. <laughs> that is not helpful. Whereas, like, this week they had uh, Misty Copeland, mm-hmm. right? And she, and obviously I don't know much about this stuff, but she seemed, you know, like she's she knows her stuff and she was giving really specific mm-hmm. Feedback, and that's the kind of thing that I that I appreciate. Yeah. But I saw, saw a couple people complaining that it was too technical. I don't know. What 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 do you, what do you think of that kind of like balance? Like, I think it's like as like the dancers' perspective, like they, I think they like need it to like continue. But I remember like on Dancing with the Stars, like when Abby Lee was like some of the dancers, they don't know the language that she was like saying. Yeah. So she was like for like your. For Meryl's, like, arabesque, mm-hmm. she was like, it's sickled. Your foot's sickled. Uh-huh. It shouldn't be in the dance. Yeah. But she's not going to know what that means, but she's a nice dancer. I don't Yeah. I don't know. But she shouldn't be pointing that out. It's more performance for, like, Dancing with the Stars. Than, well, yeah, and that's yeah. a big difference between a show like So You Think You Can Dance, where everybody who's there has years and years of training. Yeah. So they can get into the specifics of that terminology. And I feel like, actually, as a viewer, you can learn... You can... You know, I, 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 we were talking before we started recording, and I was like, I feel I feel confident throwing out a few of the you know the terms and stuff. I feel like I'm learning more about dance watching it, whereas something with uh, Dancing with the Stars, and maybe that's why it's so much more successful viewership wise. Yeah, it's much more accessible and much more mainstream because they can't be super term you know jargon specific. Yeah, because you know They're a sportscaster or a you know usually but they always find a way to get a figure skater in there, and they always do better because they have more yeah you know physicality, but. But um, sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Uh, the one of the things I appreciate about um, going back to I'm going to go back to so you think because I love it so much. I'm going back yeah. to so you think you can dance for a little bit here. Um, is the way um, the way that they demonstrate all these different types of of dance and sometimes more or less successfully. This past week we had some West Coast swing that was I would say less successful. But I, I do appreciate the versatility of that, um, Jenna, and then and then Sean. I wanted to ask: Are there particular styles that you would like to see more representation of on a show like you know Dancing with the Stars or So You Think You Can Dance? Like I liked like how last week when they did like the ballerinas, like how they had ballet that usually don't have like ballet dances for couples. I remember last season. I think Keon and I forget the girls. Eliana. Eliana. Like they did like a. Like a dance, but like they usually don't do ballet. Mm-hmm. They do more like hip hop and jazz and contemporary. But yeah. so it must be nice to actually yeah. get to see some, you know, see people put on their point shoes. Yeah, and really fun. I know I, they they had um, they seem to whenever they do auditions, if there's a regional specific kind of dance, they tend to highlight that a yeah. little bit, and I appreciate that. Sean, is there been a style you particularly enjoyed, um, sort of getting to know, or that you, you maybe would like to see more of? Um. You know, I, I want to say I agree with Jenna as well that ballet should be represented a bit more, and probably also tap for me. And yet, yeah. I would I would hesitate to say I, I would want more of that. 
um, at the expense of losing some of the modern, just because that to me feels like some of the most innovative stuff. And for me, as somebody who hasn't gone and seen a lot of dance competitions, those are usually the ones that end up feeling the most creative and uh, at least so far have wowed me. But yeah, they, they seem to do a good job of balancing them, uh, the, the variety of styles. There's only been one or two episodes so far where, you know, when they go fast forward through a lot of the auditions that they don't show us uh, in full, uh, they'll mention a style and I'd be like, oh, no, wait, I wanted to see one of those. But uh, for the most part, they, I think they've been good about that. Yeah. Well, and there, something like tap, I mean, because I, I, we were talking about this on the podcast just last week. I'm a, I love the old uh, MGM musicals and the, the tap musicals. And, and uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a big place in my heart for that. But I, I never seem to like the tap numbers that they choreograph. And so you think you can dance. And I don't know if that's because I just have this image in my head of like 30s and 40s tap. And the, the, the genre has really progressed since then. And I just don't know. Um, or maybe just because tap is really hard, guys. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes they not, not everybody can pull off the kind of dancer that can make it through uh, to, to the, the actual show. And they need to be able to be strong in so many other areas that they can't hyper-specialize in tap, uh, usually. So maybe they can't pull off the super impressive stuff the way that, you know... Fred Astaire can, or Gene Kelly, or Eleanor Powell can into the old movies. Um, what What are your thoughts on tap? Um, like, did you like the musical number for like the opener this like this past week? Like the, with the... oh, with New York, New York. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit. I, you know, yeah. I, I love my Broadway, <laughs> and of course, I, I like that. I'm a fan of that film too. The, mm -hmm. the the film version of that. Yeah, that was fun, and there were there were some elements of there. Yeah, yeah. But like every season, they always have like one or two tap people mm. and they usually go far mm. or like I like like how they showcase the tap but mm. like obviously I like I don't learn like the old fashioned tap <laughs> I kind of just like yeah 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 it will be uh, and again it's because my familiarity it'd be like if you the only ballet you ever saw was the Nutcracker at Christmas <laughs> and then you see any other kind of ballet and it's like what is that? Uh, there's, they're not, you know, wearing the same kind of tutus that I expect. Um, you know, I think they're, they're, some of that just may be my fault as a viewer not being flexible enough. One of the things I would love to see happen on, on So You Thinking Dance, uh, or, or on, you know, Dancing with the Stars too, would be I would love to see them make everybody do, you know, like maybe not on the show because it would just throw them under the bus and they would be, destined for failure but i would love to see like a montage of the hip-hop people having to do ballet and like i don't know the the contemporary people having to do tap because i always feel like like this season they have those the two ballerinas who did some whose auditions were fantastic um and the tappers as well and and they're doing pretty good with these other styles but nobody else is gonna have to try to do their style because it's yeah. so specialized and i don't know i feel like that's a missed opportunity I just feel like they would need, like, another week, maybe, to learn it. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't think they're going to put the boys on point shoes because boys don't go on point shoes. Yeah. They would have to, like, like lead them. Lead them but, to do some partnering. And, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Well, uh, the Sean had a question earlier on. One of the when we were first watching the show and watching the auditions, they kept talking about um, ball ballroom and, oh, do you have any ballroom training? And uh, the uh, – I, I – and – what I've gathered from the watching the show is that a lot of times people have a difficult time 
going from you know, contemporary or something like that into ballroom. But I was reading online somebody else talking about how ballroom is one of the more accessible things for contemporary. So I don't know. And do, do you have any thoughts on this? I've never taken ballroom. <laughs> so like, like for someone like the cha-cha moves and stuff, like I've done like that type of stuff. But like for like ballroom in general, I have like no experience. So like going into that, yeah. like I don't know how fast they teach the choreography and then it'd be like boom 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 mm -hmm. and p especially in heels i can't <laughs> yeah. do that <laughs> right that's the, the old ginger rogers things back backwards and in heels but um but yeah no the i don't know I, it seems so far they have a lot of latin ballroom people on the show this season and thus far i've not been super impressed but um I always I, I have a fondness in my heart for the waltz and the quick time quick step not quick time quick step <laughs> and all of that so that's I don't know maybe maybe we'll get to see more of that as the season progresses uh, do you have any what do you think about the uh, the regular judges of Mary and uh, and Nigel any thoughts um like I just remember from a few seasons like when she like goes crazy and starts yelling <laughs> I just love when she says you're on the hot tamale train. Yeah, and then she's like, "Whoa!" But and then <laughs> Nigel's kind of like the nerdy, like, like you guys did great. And then like, but then he's kind of serious at times. Yeah, so it's too. a good balance. It's a good balance. Yeah, I would say I imagine for some people, Mary might be a bit much. Yeah, but you know, I I don't know. I can appreciate that enthusiasm from time to time. Uh, Sean, how are you with the the judges so far? I I enjoy both of them, and for different reasons. You were talking earlier about uh, some of the technical jargon, and even as somebody who doesn't know anything, like I always appreciate when they do use that, because whoever edits these does a great job of kind of cutting to like a slow mo clip, and then we'll kind of see what it whatever it is one of them is talking about. Yeah, that's how I would. I, I would like. I like when they do that. Yeah, I want like picture in picture mm -hmm. too. I don't know why they don't do that. Like in the auditions, they cut to the judges' reaction. I'm like I don't. I want to see the yeah. dancers. Like I like when they're like. I like when you do like the that lift and then they like show the lift as like they're saying that because mm -hmm. you can like sometimes you don't know which lift because they do so many lifts. Yeah, but it, it's helpful. It helps you you know understand. Visualize. And then you know you can do the old DVR back yeah. and watch it again, and that that that's pretty helpful. Uh, but is, okay, so before we leave So You Think You Can Dance and uh, Dancing with the Stars. I was, I'm always so happy when some of the So You Think You Can Dance alums get jobs over on Dancing with the Stars. Cause oh, yeah. Was, yeah. I was like, like, was it Whitney? Yeah, was Whitney and, and um, Ashley? No, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. They're both blonde and then Jenna, Jenna. but that's also a ballroom dancer. She's like one of the backup, but I think she might be like for nice. next season or maybe the next season she might be like one of the teachers. Oh, great. Yeah, because I'm big... I don't know why didn't she make it for okay sorry that's last season <laughs> um, yeah but she was really good last season I remember like the it was like for one of the all stars like mm -hmm. he choreographed her and it was like with a K-pop song I love that oh yeah that yeah was so cool so our listeners won't know this, but I just held my hand uh, yeah. above my head be doing the braid thing because it was super mod and amazing. Mm -hmm. It's still one of my favorite routines. Um, do you have any... Okay, so I'm going to just quick top five before we move on to, you know, the other, you know, fictional, serialized storytelling, all of that, you know, representations of dance. Uh, top five, so you think you can dance dancers of all time or routines, your, your pick. Okay. So stand-up memorable moments and then also... So far, right now, who are you rooting for this season? Um, well, Ricky. Mm -hmm. I'm rooting for him. 
twin for like are they doing like the boy and the girl I'm or are they just sure. doing just one it seems like maybe they're just doing one i don't know because like he said that like there's gonna be one but then there might be two like last year so i don't know but i want him to win mm-hmm. but i remember brandon from a couple seasons ago mm-hmm. like i liked him okay and then i liked fiction mm-hmm. um i liked amy from last season too keon um, Ricky, sure. Ricky, there you go. There you go. There's five. <laughs> yeah, the um, I, I this season I'm, I'm really impressed by Stanley, but oh, I, yeah. I I need to see more character mm-hmm. from him. Uh, we will have already at this point talked about this week's episode on the podcast, but um, but I'm very impressed by him, and I think there's um some of the other dancers have a lot of potential mm-hmm. to grow, so I look forward to watching them you know get better and better over the course of the season well let's before we run out of time here there there are actually you know non-reality shows about dance um and basically this is an opportunity for me to say everybody should watch bunheads uh i was gonna actually give you the dvd Mm -hmm. uh of it but it's not out on dvd (laughs) so i was like i can i can you know hook jenna up with the with the dvd and then she can watch it and it's you know so abc family get on that because the show's amazing. I know you haven't had much opportunity to watch it, but if it ever does come out in DVD, it's so good. Um, but uh, but but uh, um, anybody who listens to the Love Television will have heard Sean and I talk about Bunheads already. What are some other shows that are that come to mind when you think of representations of dance, and specifically younger dancers? Um, well, I recommended you Dance Academy. Yeah, so what's that? I, I never heard. Oh. I, mean, I vaguely heard of it, but. Okay. It was, like, a show on Teen Nick that, like, it's filmed in Australia, and it's about, like, a girl that, like, um, it goes to, like, a ballet school of dance, and, like, she, like, learns to become better with, like, dancers that are, like, also growing. Mm-hmm. Well, and because I checked out some of the episodes, and um, it's you can you you can watch it on Teen Nick's website. They yeah. have the I think they have all three seasons up mm-hmm. and available. And it's one of those things where uh, the some of some of the acting is not very good. <laughs> they are they're not actors. They are young dancers. <laughs> the the acting on Bunheads is is much better. But um, but what I really appreciate about about Dance Academy is that they, I think they do a good job of shooting the dancing, and yeah. the dancing is all really good, right? It seems mm-hmm. like it's good. I don't yeah. know. It's, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and they also, but I also appreciate that you know you get to see like the there's a uh, number in it. I don't think you've seen this episode yet, but they do the um, one of the sequences from the Red Shoes. Oh yeah, I saw. You that. saw that one? Yeah. Oh yeah, the, where they had the two mm-hmm. versions of the Red Shoes, and it, that, I thought that was really well done. And did, that's not an easy thing to to kind of convey. So I thought they did a good job with that. And, but they also do contemporary. Do there are there other styles of dance that we that the characters in the show are studying that we see, or is it mostly just ballet and contemporary? I remember um, they do hip hop. Too. Mm-hmm. It's not just ballet and contemporary, but I think that's it. That's it. That's yeah. the main focus. Well, because you know, again, you're making a show about young, young people, and they have to be able to do what you know what you're asking of them. So that's you're that you're already starting out with a small sample size of of people you can draw from. But I was impressed because just in the episode I watched, it, which happened to be a finale, I think, 
uh, the one of the episodes I watched, I hadn't seen all the lead up to it, but I was still affected by you know the characters. There was somebody had died, and they were dealing with. <laughs> Why the did you watch that one? Because it that was, was so one. sad. <laughs> it's the one I clicked, and it was a, it was it was it was good. And again, I'm. To our listeners, just know that they're not actors and that they're doing their best and that they get the story across with their dancing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what matters. Um, I would always rather have a real... If, if, the, if the character is supposed to be a dancer and that's an important thing, or a musician, I would always rather have someone who can actually do this thing that's supposed to define their personality. So I would like... A movie like Center Stage, for example, I enjoy because while there are cheesier elements and there are stronger and you know weaker uh, characters or, or dancers in there, um, for the most part, I believe them when they. I can actually watch them dance, not just cut to their feet and then cut to their face, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so Dance Academy was was a fun one, um, and again an export out of Australia. I I always think of I know it's reality, but I always immediately go to Dance Moms. <laughs> <laughs> and so this this was the first time I had watched any uh, was for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is in what what is the deal with Abby Lee? She's like a like she's not strict, but like she just wants like them to be perfect, kind of. Okay, so but she runs a dance studio, and everybody talks like she's this huge is she a huge deal, or is it just sort of constructed for the show? I think she just was like a huge deal because like they they win a lot, mm-hmm. and like since like Maddie's like perfect, and she won like a national title, and so did Chloe. Like, that they were, were put on a show, and then that's, like, spread around. So it just kind of has snowballed. Okay. Yeah, because it, it, the, the combination of, like, it seems like most of the show is, I mean, it's called Dance Moms. <laughs> and it seems like it's all talking heads of the parents, and then every now and again they show the kids, and I'm like, that's the show I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> True. But how, so how accurate is, well, first of all, Sean, have you seen any Dance Moms? <laughs> I've not seen any episodes, but uh, prior to this, I watched a few clips on YouTube of the the dance routine, so I didn't get to see any of that talking heads moments. <laughs> well, it, you, you, if you've seen the Thirty Rock Queen of Jordan episode, you you have an idea of what it's like, or any of the Real Housewives. That's also very similar. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, but uh, so, so what? Um, uh, so how accurate is some of the stuff with? what dance classes are like for kids. Is it that competitive and intense? What do you mean? Oh, we have... Okay, I okay. guess... We have a, a third... Another party being heard from uh, Jenna's mom. Have any thoughts on this? Oh, it's pretty accurate. Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of competition and competitiveness at the studio. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah. So that was... I guess it is. But, I mean, it's not that intense. It's like, if your daughter wins against my daughter... She's going to be, like, dead. <laughs> just a lot of hard feelings sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So emotions run high. Emotions run high. You want the best for your, your kid, your yeah. daughter. Yeah. You want them to get the best training with the best teachers, and sometimes you don't get that. It's like... Yeah. yeah you know. Oh, you're talking about... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine it can snowball pretty easily, and, I mean, just it just seems... Everybody seems super stressed yeah. out. <laughs> I know you say that, like, you see, like, there's, like, my, I don't think you're a dance mom, but, like, there's some no. dance moms at my studio that are just, like, they watch their kids, and they're just, like, they're, like, they're, like, they're, like, watching, they're, like, trying to, like, you know, yeah, do it's kind of funny <laughs> to see that in real life. It, it's hard to watch the kids 
um, too, because Abby is really hard on the kids sometimes, yeah. and I feel so bad for the kids because mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it's just it's sometimes it's hard to watch. Yeah, because I actually see what goes on in our studio, and then I feel bad for those kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. That, that was sorry, just for the listeners out there. We had we had a no uh, immediately from one side, and a yes immediately from the <laughs> well, other. Like so. it's kind of, but it's not like so intense. I wouldn't say it's like so intense like how it is on the show but obviously the, obviously it's like a tv show so it has to be like that yeah and you have editing and you have people who are you know something like again on a show like the amazing race but or even like so you think you can dance uh you watch uh, everybody seems way more dramatic during um vegas week but then you remember that you know they've gone they're going on like no sleep yeah. And it's it's been just week, you know, like days and days and days of stress, and they got a camera right in their face. So of course they're gonna start with the waterworks. Mm -hmm. Well, to, we're gonna keep this anonymous, but I know that you have studied with some people who have been on on so you think you can dance yeah. uh, at varying at varying levels. Uh, so any so I mean, you know, I'm just gonna poke you for details about that, whatever you're comfortable with talking about. Okay. <laughs> Poke. Go for it. <laughs> well, like, I guess, like, Vegas Week is, like, really stressful, and they kind of, like, they bother you till like, they get something out of you. Mm -hmm. So, like, like, if they don't get something out of you, they're just going to keep on, like, going back to going you. Going back and forth. Yeah, and asking you various questions. Because mm -hmm. it seems like certain, especially certain dancers uh, that have more traumatic backstories for example it's, it always feels like oh they keep bringing up this thing they keep bringing up this thing and we can we can make as a viewer you can feel like the the dancer is exploiting that tragedy in, in their background to try to gain sympathy and your votes but I think a lot of the time that's probably just because somebody stuck a camera in their face and said how do you think your dead father or sick brother would feel you know I don't know it's combine that with stress and yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you know when you see these these injuries that happen, seems somebody always gets injured. Yeah. It's like a, there's a competition to get yourself injured on, <laughs> on Vegas week. Yeah. Um, like, how much of that is just standard operating procedure for intensive dance, and how much of that is uh, something that you watch, and you know you're that seems serious. Like, obviously, when they're dancing like that much and they're under pressure, like. You can get hurt very easily if they don't like warm up properly and they're just like go go go. Mm -hmm. But um, like for and plus they're in such like a close space. Like when they have like over a hundred dancers on like a stage trying to learn choreography, practicing lifts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it stuff can happen, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's like over dramatized when like someone faints and then <laughs> so that's obviously with this. <laughs> They don't have like a, enough water or something. Yeah, and maybe. they'll just be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the the power of the inspirational music and the <laughs> zoom in slow mo is super dramatic. <laughs> well, uh, but we're we're just about out of time. But do we have any? Are there any other shows or characters or or dance moments that you would like to reference or talk about? I mean, there's also like, I know you mentioned Center Stage, but First Physician mm. is also a good movie for like ballet. Okay. Like with the Grand Prix and everything. So that's a real thing. That's like, yeah. a, that's an actual, because that's something that yeah. gets brought up in the, in, in um, Dance Academy. That mm -hmm. is, that's an international competition. How frequently does it happen? 
I think it happens like once a year. Once, once a year, every year? year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And because I know there's, there in, for music competitions, there's some that are every year, there's some that are every four years and different ones. And, uh, so that, that's a good mm-hmm. film for that. And, um, and again, I'm just, I'm putting another vote out there into the universe for Bunheads. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, Sean, any other thoughts or, or questions for, for Jenna? Um, you know, we talk about TV on this podcast. Unfortunately, this is an area that's been a bit lacking. Uh, Bunhead's being one of the major exceptions. I'd give a nod of approval to Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, which I thought was a fantastic film. Wait a couple years to watch it, Jenna. <laughs> you know? Black Swan. Oh, yeah. I'm wait a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. I also got to mention um, the film Grandma's Boy, which had one of the only portrayals of the, the video game Dance Dance Revolution, which is a big <laughs> part of my life. <laughs> oh, Dance Dance Revolution. See, I feel like, you know, I'm not particularly uh, physically adept at this stuff, but, you know, if, you, if I could taught and I did dance class when I was five you know I still remember the vaguest of first second third position all that I feel like if if someone gave me the choreography I could learn a simple routine maybe I'll have to do the national dance day beginner routine for so you think you can dance I always do like the hip-hop one but I was like yeah no no um but yeah I, I i you know so that's why i enjoy dance dance revolution dance dance revolution though always destroys me because the the music like i if the music and the screen aren't exactly lined up it messes me up because <laughs> i can't help but like mu- music is such an important choice yeah. for choreography or for for um any of that stuff that I still remember last, from last season on Stay Thinking Nest, that horrible, was it like a salsa to call me maybe? Oh. <laughs> or maybe that was the year before. It was just yeah, terrible. It was, it was the worst thing ever in life, apparently. Worse than everything was that salsa to call me maybe. But um, but yeah, that, that, that's an excellent, excellent call there, uh, Sean. <laughs> I am this boy. Oh, good times. Well, um, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Normally we end this by asking where listeners can find you online, but listeners can't find you online because that would be <laughs> creepy and weird. So instead, I will thank you for your time and uh, we'll put a, a happy thought out into the universe for Ricky on, on So You Think You Can Dance. And when it eventually comes out as knock on wood, it hopefully will on DVD someday, I will send you bunheads and you can watch it and you can just bathe in the awesomeness of... <laughs> Of, of, of that show. Um, yeah. So, Jen, again, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you, everyone. And, and Jenna's mom, thank you for, for coming <laughs> on as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.